All right. Uh, let me read you two verses why I think we should share, okay? And see if you can get out what pastor's trying to figure out, okay? Or trying to teach. All right. Ephesians 2.10. Okay, tell me if this would work for sharing. Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Well, what, does that teach us that we should share? It does? Yes. What are, yeah, yes, he did. So good works. What are good works? Could sharing be good works? Okay, I got a Thanksgiving psalm. Can a Thanksgiving psalm work? No. No? Psalm 100? Let me read Psalm 100 to you kids. And, and parents out there can look at it. Psalm 100 and verse 3 I think works. Shout joyfully to the Lord. Do you like to shout joyfully? All the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Did we do that this morning? You still with me down there? Everybody? Yeah? Okay, know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. And then we're supposed to enter the gates with thanksgiving. What did that last verse say? We, did we make ourselves? Huh? No. So what I want you to get, what mine is his. We are his. We didn't make ourselves. We are his and therefore everything that we have is his. And if it's his, then it's really not mine but it is mine but yet i know that it's his and anybody else confused yet Uh, laney come here i am going to share because what is mine is his okay will you hand those out so that one verse said serve the lord with gladness can we serve the lord by sharing what do you think yes okay All right, I didn't hear that, but that's the right answer. God made us and owns us, right? Because we are his. He made us. It said that, didn't it? Did it say he made us? We didn't make ourselves. He made us. What do you guys think? Did God make you? Okay. So if he made you, do you belong to him? I think so. What else? God is good and gracious. Is God good? Yes, that's just your go-to answer, isn't it? All right. All right, did you get one? Oh, we need two more. Oh, I ran out. You guys are out of luck. But God never runs out, does he? Here. So, God is good and gracious. He will never stop giving us stuff that we really don't deserve. He gives us wonderful gifts. So I guess part of the story today is I want you to see as we look at, you know, the lesson I'm going to teach everyone today is that Jesus owns everything. He is the king. And because he he owns everything and he is the king and everything we have really belongs to him. Right? It's like 100% tax. It's his. And so I am his. Are you his? Are you Jesus's? Then everything you have is his. Yes, we're Jesus's. Let's pray.
Lord, I thank you for these wonderful kids. Ask that you would um, help them see as they get many good things, candy and gifts, that really the greatest gift is what you've given them, life and eternal life, salvation. Help them to learn to follow you and, and do your will. And part of that, Lord, I thank you for is being able to share some of the blessings you've given us. Help them to learn how to put others first and to put you above all. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, kids. Thank you. Are there any teenagers out there? Thank you. Whoops. Any teenagers out there? Maybe we should do a lesson on boldness. How many teenagers are bold enough to come up here and get a sucker? All right, here you go. Man, we have some, we have a good group of teenagers. Look at this. All right. I better be careful. Some of these teenagers look like they could beat me up. Bigger than I am. Is that all? All the teen? What about adults? I don't know if I have enough for the adults. You think they'd be bold enough to come up here? Uh, yeah? <laughs> when it involves candy, you young adults, 20s, 19-year-olds, you're still a teenager. Huh? There, I'll pick that up later. All right. But I think I wanted to try to do something that would fit with. I don't know if you saw that. I must have. Okay, there we go. <laughs> I wanted, you, I wanted the kids to kind of get a little bit of what the message is today. And one of the applications is that Jesus is the king. He is the ruler. And that means that I should lovingly serve him. Or I, would be, I should be willing to not only submit to his authority, but we should love him, Right? It's more than having to do what he says because that's the right thing to do. Or if we don't do it, we'll be judged. (laughs) But it's because I love him. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, um, there's so much going on in this world today. Help us not to lose sight that you are the king. And uh, you have a perfect plan. Help us to remember... Um, the many blessings that there are that we have been brought out of the domain of darkness into your glorious uh, kingdom of light. And and help us to live that out uh, daily. Live that out uh, uh, even when we really just don't feel like it. Uh, help us to have the right perspective uh, because of this knowledge. In Jesus' name, amen. So as you look here, it's in Genesis 49.10. Let's go back to Genesis 49.10. Now, if there's any infants that might like uh, a sucker that parents are willing to to let them have a sucker. Oh, no, not yet. So we're going to talk about Shiloh, but Shiloh doesn't get a a sucker. But actually, so in this passage, it says until Shiloh. And so a lot of translations have Shiloh because it's speaking of a specific person. 
And I, I think it's fine. Take it as his name. He is Shiloh. Lord Jesus Christ is Shiloh, the one to whom it belongs. And what belongs? Well, look at this verse in 49.10. And, and I went over this last week, but it's a, a, a blessing. It's a promise. It's a prophecy. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the people. Now, if we take the Hebrew word Shiloh, okay, it means to whom it belongs. What belongs? The scepter, the authority, the power. He is king. And there's a promise that he was going to come. And this is back in Genesis. This is not the first prophecy about a Messiah or a king who would put an end to the reign of Satan and of death, who would rule forever. You know, it's, he is a king and he has a domain. What is a domain? That's like a state, right? Or a county. You know, uh, when we went to the the state one acts, uh, I saw that sign again that makes me feel like I'm leaving the state, but I'm still in Nebraska. I, I it's, you're leaving the brand inspection area. I mean, I don't feel like I'm in the same state when I pass that sign. It just doesn't feel right to me. You know, what, I guess they can still brand cattle, but they don't have to have them inspected or something. I don't know. Maybe they don't have, is it, I think it's wrong if you don't brand cattle. How do you know whose it is? What do you have, just one cow? I mean, maybe they, they mark it with the, you know, the old school where they, Put a little, I forget, word is escaping me. Notch on their ear or something, you know. But it just, just doesn't seem right. Feels like I'm leaving the domain of Nebraska. Well, what's the domain? That's the power and authority for brand inspectors to do their work, right? Or that everybody has to comply with those laws within that area. Or there's a ruler and you have to do what he says, which is his laws. And in Genesis 49, 10, again, it just reminds us that Jesus has a right to rule and a realm or a domain to rule, yet people in this world do not agree with that statement. They do not agree with us. They do not agree with what the Bible says. You know, I like what Francis Schaeffer says. I'm reading one of his books, and a lot of them deal with this same subject that we're dealing with weekly. It's really bearing fruit in our day and age. I, I really, to be honest with you, a wrong philosophy, a wrong view of science has really destroyed the thinking of, of institutions today. And our nation was not the norm, but now it is, to be honest. Our nation was founded on Judeo, uh, Judeo-Christian principles And that was not the norm. But what he says in his book, No Little Places, there is a world spirit which has existed ever since man revolted against God. When was that? Garden of Eden. We may call it some technical name such as humanism or rationalism or simply the spirit of the world. It is the spirit of anti-law. An anti-law of a very special kind. Anti-law in a revolution 
against God himself. And I'm reminded it is a spiritual battle to begin with. It is. It's a spiritual battle. But it bears fruit in the physical domain. But it brings me back to my point that we ourselves as as an individual and as a group of believers, a church, a local church, we must continue to love Jesus and we must continue to submit to his authority. He is the king. Now why does Jesus fit the passage here in Genesis 49.10 and how does he fulfill it? The first reason Jesus fulfills 49.10 is that Jesus has the power, right? He has the power. And Hebrews 10, 11 through 13, I thought I had these in my notes, but I don't, so I got to go to Hebrews here. Actually have them down farther. We'll come to it again, I guess. But again, he's a suffering servant. So hold on a second to Hebrews chapter 10. But I wanted to remind you just some simple truths. Jesus is a suffering servant. That is, when he came, he, he proved that he is the Messiah. And the Messiah was to be not only king, but the one who would, as we read in Matthew chapter 1, when Jesus is given his name, put in, deliver or save us, his people, from their sins. And so he had to come as a suffering servant. And where's the proof? Well, first we know he's the Messiah because there is the proof from his powerful miracles. And if you would go to Matthew 14, in Matthew 14, we see that Jesus fed the 5,000. And then in 14, 13, he fed the 5,000. And in 14, 25, Jesus walked on the water to the disciples in the boat. They had already gone out. Uh, This is where... This is where Peter steps out of the boat, begins to sink, and Jesus you know, pulls him up out of the water. And then 1432, we see that not only does he have power to walk on water, but he controlled the water and then the wind because the wind stopped. Look at 1433 says, and those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, you are certainly God's son. The wind stopped in 32, and then that causes this, this response by the disciples that say, you are, you are certainly God's son. What does that mean? You're God the son. You're divine. There's also proof positive te- preaching, and I'm not going to go through all of this. Let's just say the Sermon on the Mount, but there's lots of illustrations and instances of Jesus' powerful teaching and his powerful correction to the religious people, religious leaders. There's proof positive perfection of the Lord Jesus Christ. What is the verse I like to quote quite frequently? 2 Corinthians 5.21. Do you have it memorized yet? Can you say it? I mean, if Jesus sinned, The rest of the stuff that he did doesn't matter. But he did come to save his people from their sins. And so 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made him who knew no sin, 
to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That is, he only knew sin as he bore our sins, the penalty for our sins, in his body on the cross. There's also proof from his sacrifice. And this is Hebrews uh, 10, and I lost my place again. (laughs) Hebrews 10, would you turn there with me? And this is preaching to Jews, Hebrews, who should understand the reality of who Jesus is. This is after his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. And so he makes a statement in verse 11 through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So the Lord God is telling them, he says, Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But he, that is Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. Now, you're probably familiar with this passage, but what I want you to understand, what I want you to to see here today as we're looking at it in the context of Genesis 10 uh, or 49.10 is that he now sits at the right hand of the Father. Sometimes we see him stand, sometimes sitting. Sitting shows that he has fulfilled his task on earth, but he's waiting. He is king, but there's going to be a time when that becomes a full reality, both spiritually and physically. Praise the Lord. We don't have to deal with any of this other stuff that we have to deal with today. But in this passage, we also see, again, he lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for our sins once for all. And now he sits at the right hand of the Father. And he is waiting for that time where he he will put an end to the foe. So we have a suffering servant, but we also have a victorious king. A victorious king because not only did he suffer and die on the cross, but he rose again. Praise the Lord. Not only did he rise again, but he was seen over and over and over and over and over and again. Several overs, right? He appeared to his followers on Easter morning. He appeared again and again. In John 20, 26, first he appeared in John 20. It tells us on Easter morning. Then eight days later in John 20, 26, when when Thomas got to see him. And then in 21.1, when he was at the Sea of Tiberias, they were at the Sea of Tiberias, and he appeared to them. And then 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 and following, declares that so many people saw Jesus alive. It wasn't just the 12 disciples. It wasn't just his immediate followers. Over 500 brethren saw him alive at one time. Then we have the visible ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew 28, 18, and 19 in Acts 1, 8. Because I can get windy, I'm not going to read those verses, but go ahead and write those down. His visible ascension proves the reality because, well, actually, let's go to verse 8 of Acts 1. Actually, verse 11. I want you to see this. 
after he ascended, we're going to see the visible return. And we see this in Acts after he sends in verse 11 that the angel said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. What's going to happen? Jesus is coming back in the same way, but he's coming back in a powerful way. And there's a little part of me that wants, to, wants him to come back now. Well, first we have the rapture of the church, then we have the tribulation. But man, I am sick of some of the stuff, Right? The arrogance of humanity. But then the Lord laid upon my heart last night, it's a little bit sorrowful. What am I doing to proclaim the truth of absolute morality, of the reality of sin, of the reality of people's need for salvation? And these might be people that we're dealing with that grew up in the church and are rejecting Jesus. But what did I do to stand in the way to try to keep them from walking off that ledge into eternal damnation? Hopefully, at least I'm praying. Am I physically standing up when God prompts me to? Am I speaking out? When he wants me to. Some of these people will not listen. And so yes, it's, it's pretty futile. But if we're praying about it, I believe that we'll be sensitive enough to, to know when God wants us to speak up and when to remain silent. Matthew twenty six sixty four says, Jesus said to him, you have said it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Jesus is coming again. We celebrate his first coming, but he is coming again. And someday he will set his feet upon this earth. <laughs> it will be a powerful revealing of the Son of Man. So what does this all have to do with Genesis 49, 10? Pastor Lee got a little wild, wound up there. Well, Jesus has a power. He has a power. He will fulfill this promise where Judah's line and later the promise to David that they will always have the authority and the power. So in this busy world today, Is Jesus the one we love? In this busy world today, is G- do we take time for Jesus? Do we follow him lovingly or begrudgingly? Are we listening to the world or are we listening to the Lord Jesus? Do we submit with great love and admiration to the King? You know, the second reason Jesus fulfills Genesis 49.10 is that Let's, let's talk about two of the names of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, Son of God. And, and Luke, so turn with me to Luke one thirty five, Luke one thirty five, and, and last week I came here too because I think these two passages tie together uh, with Shiloh 49.10, Luke 1, uh, 32 and 33, but in 30, 35 it says, The angel answered and said, To her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. 
And for that reason, the holy child shall be called the Son of God. And the Son of God is a clear claim that Jesus is fully divine, as I mentioned earlier. So here he says he's the Son of God in Luke 1.35. Jesus said it of himself in John 10.36, if we had time to go there, but we don't. And in Matthew 26, 63 and 64, he accepted this claim. He accepted it, this truth. But when we look at 32 and 33, it says, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. Well, He's Son of God, Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. So here we see in verse 32 both his deity and his humanity. He is fully God and fully man. Verse 33, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Again, the line of David, the line of Jacob, and his kingdom will have no end. And so in the first part of 32, he's the son of God, son of the Most High. And then the second part and into 33, he's son of man. And the son of man points to the reality or this name linked him to the earth and his mission on the earth. It linked him to this mission on the earth. I got way ahead of myself. So he's son of God. You know, this was the favorite designation of Jesus for himself. And it focused on his lowliness and his humanity, Matthew 8, 20. And, and I, I just think about how the Son of, of Man has no place to lay his head, you know, when he said that. As he traveled this earth proclaiming the truth and healing others, the truth of who he is. But again, both Son of God and Son of Man, Son of David. On Mary's side, again, I mentioned this last week, Matthew 1. She's in the line of David. Legally, Joseph's side. Luke 3.23 of the line of David. Of the line of Jacob, or of Jacob and Judah. <laughs> but Matthew 1.23, what else? Again, the term Emmanuel, God with us. Matthew 1, 23, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated me, means God with us. And if we were to go back and look at Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, Emmanuel, God, with us, with power and authority. So since Jesus is a God-man, right? <laughs> the right sonship of the Heavenly Father and the right sonship of his earthly parents, he therefore has legitimacy of authority. He has a power to rule and the right to rule. I like that better, right? He has a right to rule. He has a power and right to rule. Do you follow the king? Yes, I think we probably do, right? Hopefully that energizes you, though. Uh, go back to Second. Corinthians chapter 5, we're ambassadors. Man, let's just go home. Let's go to our own nation. Uh, even though I doubt there's a brand inspection area, and a new heaven, new earth, I'm going to feel at home. I think. Anyway, just 
Tie it back, Lord. Anyway. All right. Uh, the third reason Jesus fulfills Genesis 49.10 is because, simply put, to tie really these last two together is the throne is Jesus's, the Davidic kingdom. Again, Luke 1.32, I already mentioned this. He's a son of David, and the throne, the Lord God will give him what? What? The throne Now, were the people wrong to expect that Jesus, the Messiah, would deal with Rome? <laughs> were they wrong? Yes and no. Yes, because um, they were not wrong, that is, because it will happen. But they were wrong because he had to, to come and be the suffering servant first, and they should have known that. They were wrong because they weren't listening to what Jesus was telling them at the time. I must suffer and die. But he will rule. thousand year reign of Christ here on earth will happen. That kingdom is not just a Davidic kingdom. It's a vast kingdom. It's over all kingdoms. Uh, Numbers 24, 17. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come from forth from Jacob. A scepter shall rise from Israel and shall crush through the forehead of Moab and tear down all the sons of Sheth. Numbers 24, 17. Daniel 2, 44. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed, and that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms but it will itself endure forever. So when we look at the statue in Daniel, the last kingdom is going to destroy the rest and nothing else is going to happen. It's going to be the last and forever kingdom. And so it's a vast kingdom. There is no one, no kingdom, nothing outside of his realm. It's an eternal kingdom. Praise the Lord. 2 Samuel 7, 16. Your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. Ultimate fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Psalms 89, 36. His descendants shall endure forever and his throne as a son before me. 2 Samuel 7, 13. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever psalm eighty nine thirty seven. it shall be established forever like the moon and the witness in the sky is faithful luke 1 and he will reign over the house of jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end we already read that didn't we luke 1 forever eternal Yay. That didn't sound too optimistic or too enthusiastic, actually. It's optimistic. Sometimes I lose my enthusiasm for the things of this life, but if I keep my eyes on Jesus, if I look to Him, I can get excited. Um, Don't be dismayed. Don't be discouraged. 
Jesus is alive. He's at the right hand of the Father. We don't always understand all the intricacies of his plan, but we do know that he will put an end to the wretched kingdoms of this earth, to the wretched anti-law of, the, of humans. He will put an end. What do we do in the meantime? Do you love him? Not only do you fix your eyes upon him, do you love your Savior, Jesus Christ? And as I told the kids earlier, it, it translates into a lot of different things, right? You know? I am his. So what is mine is his. And so when my car breaks down, his car breaks down, and it's all under his control. And I just got to say, okay, Lord, right? When they sign a, a law that is against the word of God, my nation is his. He's in control. But we have been brought, not only as ambassadors, but we read in Ephesians 6.10 that we must put the full armor of God on. Why? Not only are we ambassadors, but we are warriors in a battle. And that plan that he has involves us engaged in combat spiritual battle, and it also manifests itself in physical battles, which may, may be conversations, it may be arguments, it may be a vast or a variety of things. It may be like many of our Christian saints being burned at a stake. So what are you willing to do? Does that discourage you? I probably just discouraged you. Man, that sounds horrid. Man, what? what? I'm telling you is, hey, it's a battle. Don't let the difficulties of life, even the physical problems of life, make you think God doesn't have it under control because does he have it under control? Absolutely. And someday we will see the full reality of our reigning king who will reign in righteousness. And it began at the first advent. You know what advent means? Coming. The first coming of our Messiah points to the reality. He is coming again. He is alive today. And he is coming again. Let's pray. Lord, um, we love you and we thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you have done. And we thank you for your promises of what you will do. And we thank you for what you're doing today. And you have um, saved us. And you have made us to do your will. Help us to submit to your authority. Be sensitive to your leading. And that we would follow you willingly, but more than willingly, that we would have great love and desire to please you a love for you, and a desire to please you. And as we face possible economic difficulties, as we face possible persecution, it seems more real every day, as we face physical pain or difficulties, emotional pain and hurts where we need healing, where we just face even 
relations, relational difficulties with uh, loved ones or those that, you know, we should get along with that we aren't. Lord, help us to keep our eyes on you and know that you got it all under control and help us to know what to do that will please you. Help us to remember that it's okay. It will be a struggle. Lord, help us to remember that you are with us and you will never leave us nor forsake us. I ask your blessing upon each one as they go out today. Uh, blessing as we come back to, to celebrate together. And Lord, may you be glorified in all of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, can I have young, a couple of youngsters come forward to take up this morning's offering?